Mark 14, 22-31 While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many he said to them truly i tell you i will not drink again from the fruit of the vein until the day when i drink it new the king in the kingdom of god when they had sung a hymn they went out to the mount of olives you will all fall away jesus told them for it is written i had struck the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered but after i have risen i'll go ahead of you into galilee peter declared even if all fall away i will not truly i tell you jesus answered today yes tonight before the rooster goes twice you yourself would down more three times but peter insisted emphatically even if i have to die with you i will never disown you and all the others said the same okay thanks avery thank you very much before we uh, get into that passage i want to just say a word about ash wednesday and it, it may not be part of your uh, you know routine or whatever you do every year but and it wasn't for me at one time in my life uh, lent is what we're talking about here and it's a it's a practice a, a place where spiritual disciplines can come into your life and here's my thing you know the word discipline how many of you just love that word this is the 11 o'clock crowd this is not the nine o'clock crowd i know how it works but uh, it, it's it, what what the deal is with spiritual disciplines is that rather than doing something to earn God's favor, you're actually expanding your capacity to to receive what you don't deserve, and that's that's the best way I can say it. It allows you to receive more grace in your life when you do it with the right heart. And so you might think of giving up something. I always joke, you know, every year I give up Brussels sprouts. Well, big deal, you know, right? But you may think of adding something that would be beneficial to your life. And there's just so many voices of people through the years who have been wise, and they've, they've passed this wisdom on to us that, that practicing Lent is a, is a good thing. It, takes us, it helps us to absorb Easter because there's so much to absorb. Okay? So that's this Wednesday, and do with it uh, as the Lord leads. Well, I want to get into uh, this passage through kind of an unusual doorway, but it's a huge event, and we celebrate it usually once a month. We'll be celebrating it more during Lent, but um, I want to talk about trends uh, or uh, uh, turning points in, in life, and maybe in your life or in history, what it takes for something to become a turning point. And so usually a turning point doesn't just happen, as they say, on a dime. There's been forces at work that have forged a new reality. And so think about the American Revolution. It, you know, the, the, the founders of this country did not wake up on July 4th of 1776 and say, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea if we just, you know, cut ourselves off from Mother Britain? It was actually a long historical process that included a lot of cultivation of enlightenment ideas and a growing sense of national identity here in the colonies. And then this, you know, maybe in, in the right around there, um, this anger at uh, the British 
for their taxes and all that kind of stuff. But it all kind of came together. And then there was this, they, they tried to get this thing uh, down on paper and Thomas Jefferson had the job of doing that. And on July 4th, 1776, there we go, there it is. But it didn't happen that day. It was a convergence. And so um, the symbol that, uh, this is my symbol for convergence, that's not windows, by the way, that's a symbol of convergence. Look at those arrows. But in my own life, I think of the same way, how I became a Christian, a follower of Christ. It was, it was a lot of different factors that just came together. And then on one particular day, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And those factors included a growing uh, desire to do what was right and a frustration that I just couldn't pull it off all the time. Very, not all the time, sometimes not hardly at all. And you feel guilty about that and you get tired of trying and tired of beating yourself up. That was there. Then I had people, I had friends in my life that were there for some reason. They were there and they were Christians and they lived differently and they talked about Jesus and grace. And so that was part of one of those arrows. And um, then I had a personal crisis in my life which created a deep hunger to speed things up and I need help. And at that moment, Jesus became real. So I have a date on the calendar that I marked that with. But it's, not a, it's a date that doesn't stand alone. It's, it has a lot of streams that fed into it over time. Now, this, what I'm trying to get to is this table. So this would be uh, the Last Supper we're going to be talking about this morning, meaning the Thursday night before the Friday. So we're hours now before Jesus' death. And um, in that table are all kinds of things that converge and come together. And I'll just point out a few of them. One would be the, the temple and the sacrificial system that had been built up over centuries. And it comes to fulfillment that night as Jesus talks about his life being a sacrifice. And then the whole law and the prophets, or the Torah, as the Jews would understand that word, and all of the prophets who prophesied about this event, and, uh, and then maybe um, the historical convergence points when you have the Roman Empire now. This could have, like, like the other things I just mentioned, I don't think I would have, three months before I became a Christian, I was not ready to become a Christian. Maybe three weeks before. It, hap- it had to happen on that particular day when these things all converged. And the same with the American Revolution. It couldn't have happened a few years earlier. It just had to be, that was the right moment. And for Christianity, for Christ to, to die on this particular day, uh, is, is, the Roman Empire is part of the story because it provided the uh, communication and logistics for the message to go out. And then, of course, Rome is the one that only Rome used the cruci- uh, a cross to kill people. That was, they were the only ones that did that. So he ends up on a cross because of the Romans. So historical forces. But then the Passover, and that's what we're going to lean into this morning, is understanding how this event is about what we call Passover. Now, Jesus, he doesn't give, when he wants to explain his death, he doesn't give us a, uh, a lecture. He gives us a meal. What would you rather have? Well, I have a little lecturing to do, so, but it's about this meal. And he used words around the, the table to get the point across. But you're invited to a meal. You're, you're invited into uh, a, a table where things can happen where you can't just be um, 
you know, sitting back and from a distance. Look at this. Let's, I want you to read. Can we read this together? Let's just read it. We feed on Christ in our hearts through faith. We'll come back to that. That's a statement that John Calvin made some 500 years ago. But it's a very, very rich statement. We feed on Christ in our hearts through faith. And uh, the invitation to this table it's there. We'll talk about this stuff here, but and there's more. Imagine that it was a feast that what you would think of as Thanksgiving or whatever, and and you can actually die at a Thanksgiving table of hunger or thirst if you don't what. You have to eat. You have to drink. So the same thing here. You have to take in. You have to choose to come forward, and maybe there's a convergence point in your life today. Because we're all in places, life shifts on us. We get, you know, news of something or, or circumstances change. And so this is a great way to um, renew your faith in Christ or to say yes to Christ, maybe for the first time. Beautiful. So I want to explain all this. And, and later on, we'll have that opportunity. You don't have to come, but you're invited to come. Invitation is um, one of the keys to understanding who Christ is. You're invited to the bread, verse 22, and then we'll talk about the Passover meal, the cup, and the new covenant. Okay, so uh, let me just, we'll start out with verse 22. We'll, talk, we'll start with the bread. And it says that while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, this is my body. Uh, we actually, to understand where we are in the Passover meal, and I'll, I'll get to that we believe this is a Passover meal, and I'll get to that in a minute, but there's four cups. Do you notice that up here? And we'll start here, and we're going to work our way across. So the first cup is called the cup of sanctification, is, is uh, one of the ways, or coming out. It's the coming out of Egypt or for the, the uh, Hebrews who have been there for 400 years. God is going to take them out of Egypt. And um, that would have been, they would have drank from this cup before the bread. So I bring that out now. And then he goes to the bread. And he would have used unleavened bread, which is what we have here. And he would have pulled the middle one out. So that would be this one. And he would break it. And then the words that we just read. And... um, what I'd like to do, and I want you to notice this, that there's things about this bread that are, um, as, you, as you see it, can I pass it out? You guys okay with that? One of the things that the early, John the Apostle said that about Jesus, that he wanted people to know as he got older, is that we actually touched Jesus' flesh. And this is the closest we're going to get, because this represents his body. So you can just pass that around this section here, and I don't know how it's going to work. And by the way, we had, don't take a bite, because everybody, who knows, somebody might sneeze on it or whatever. And this is not the communion that we're going to be doing later. But um, yeah, just feel it. It's, it's good to, uh, I did, I, at one point in my life, I was, in, I was trying to become, a, I'm not a salesperson, but I was trying to learn how to sell things, and they always said, get it into the hands of the person. You ever heard that one? And this is what I'm doing right now. So you get to feel this. Now, one of the things I want you to notice, and this is uh, unique to unleavened bread, is that it's perforated. That's how, it, when it cooks, it has to have those holes in it uh, to make it cook. And 
that would be representative to the Jewish mind or the Hebrew mind would be representative of their uh, being beaten and abused in Egypt. They had a hard life there for those 400 years. But you'll also notice the stripes that are on the bread and the stripes represent uh, their being beaten as well. So it's, it's called the bread of affliction and this is probably the prayer that Jesus would have prayed. We don't have it in the scriptures, but this is the common prayer at the Passover meal as this bread is introduced. This is the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. So uh, we have that that bread. And um, then we go to... Uh, verse 23, which introduces the cup. But we know because of what Paul says that the cup isn't introduced till after the meal is served. And we know also that that's the way the Seder dinner works or the Passover dinner works. So um, we have the, uh, the, the bread here that we just, we're working our way across, but we have to go back to this cup before we can go forward. And this cup is the second cup. It really should be over here because it would be after the bread, but just to make this table look so that if you were OCD, you wouldn't wonder what's going on up here. Yeah. Uh, we have to go back to the second cup, and it's, it's called the cup of judgment or the cup of the plagues. And if you remember the story of Exodus in, uh, where Moses was leading the people out, how many plagues were there altogether? Anybody remember? It's actually, there were nine plus one, and the tenth one is the, is the real big one, but there were nine plagues, and I would, uh, you know, frogs and, uh, yeah, pestilence and uh, all kinds of stuff. So I remember the Ten Commandments, but I can't remember the Ten Plagues. I'm probably better off anyway. But the, it, it's a, it was a harsh life that the Hebrews had to endure. They were God's people, but they had lived 400 years of slavery. And Pharaoh was a very, very hard taskmaster. And so God was going to bring justice upon, he was going to make things right for his people by bringing justice on the Egyptians. And he goes through all these plagues. And, heart, and uh, Pharaoh's heart continued to harden. And uh, the tenth plague, though, is really the one that we need to focus on here at the, um, at the, ta- at the uh, Passover table. So, and this explains the word Passover. So if you can uh, remember how this works. It's very harsh. This is what I'm going to tell you right now. It is very, very harsh. And I wish, you know, if I was God, I w- would have done it different. But I'm not God. I'm glad I'm not. But... It's the, it, it involved the death of every firstborn son in Egypt. Now that's harsh. And I want to say it this way, that it was equal in the ultimate sense that it was over everybody, including the Hebrews. Their firstborn son was also under judgment. So it was, I guess you could say fair. And then that, that illustrates for us the fact that we all fall short of God's best for us. We are all sinners under judgment without his mercy and grace. But his mercy is expressed to the Hebrews and that he tells them on this particular night when the angel of death will come, if you do something like instead of killing your firstborn son, kill a lamb. And if you put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, then I will pass over. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. I will pass over the house and you will, your firstborn son will be spared. There will be a substitute. In other words, your son doesn't have to die, but 
the lamb will die instead. Isn't that, that's, that's a good trade. <laughs> yeah, so there was mercy and grace and judgment that night in Egypt. Okay, so you get the idea of Passover. You're going to pass over. And this is a Passover meal. Um, if we go back to verse 12, it tells us that. I won't read that for you, but earlier in the chapter, it tells us that this is a Passover meal. And we are now at that, that place of the third cup. And um, before we get there, I want to ask a question that I think is on people's minds, unless you're just somebody who accepts everything by faith. If you're a, a little bit like me, <laughs> uh, maybe questioning things, you, why not ask the question, why can't God just love people? If he's the God of love, and we would say he is, why this whole business about sacrificial substitution? Why do we have to do that? Have you ever thought that? I mean, it's, it's just kind of bloody and messy and primitive, and we're moderns after all, and we understand what love means, and why all the blood, I guess? Okay, so the first part, let's just take the first part. This is the easy part. All love, if you love somebody, you will sacrifice for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, you just Unless we're talking about Valentine's Day love, and even that you have to you know, buy something, right? That's sacrifice. But love means sacrifice. It's just the way it is. Can you have, I guess the question would be, could you have love without sacrifice of one or both parties? Is it love at that point? Or what is it? It seems like it's just selfishness. So love is always going to involve sacrifice. So the, the substitution part is really, don't you think it's the harder of the two? It's that substitution thing. Why that? Why can't God just love us? Sacrificially or whatever. Well, I, 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 can, I have pictures in my head of parents in hospital rooms. You might think of children's hospital or whatever, but I've, I've literally heard this and seen this, looking down at their child saying, I wish it was me that was lying there. I would trade places with them. My love is that strong. Does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's it, powerful stuff when you hear a parent, and they mean it. I mean, they, there's, this is, these are those moments. And just thinking of God in that way, that if we're capable of, of saying that, that God would be capable of saying that, and love is also tied in with substitution. Now, that's the extreme, but let me bring it a little bit more into the everyday. Whenever you try to help someone, whether it's a friend or a family member or you know, a child or somebody who's in trouble or somebody who maybe even has an addiction or somebody who's just whatever. And we, by the way, all of us have been there, right? Is there any of us here who have never been that, in that place where we need help? It, you know, it's, it's just all of us. So, but you're, in this particular case, you happen to be the stronger one in the relationship. You have the resources. You are filled with emotional health, at least relatively speaking. And you have uh, just in a good place where you could offer somebody else something that they don't have. They're in a place of weakness. They're drained. And what happens to you as you care for them, if you're the caregiver, you will notice that you get poured out a bit that you are actually, your strength 
is being substituted. You're trading some of your strength for their weakness. And you feel drained. This is, how, this is what caregivers feel a lot of the time. And they need to find ways to replenish. And we have this ministry here called Stephen Ministry, which is all about this stuff. So I just want to... This is part of life. And you can, you can see it in the, in the story of a parent or a grandparent who has a, a child or a grandchild who is really, really hurting and they're trying to help, and how it, it can wear them out. And then they need friends to help them walk, and it's just this thing in life. So here's the point, is that all, we're always substituting some of our strength for others' weaknesses or some of our weakness for others' strength. That's part of what makes us human. And so God, it, it helps us to understand the need for a substitutionary sacrifice. Okay, so we're in this place here between... The actually, yeah, here before here, the cup, and that's verse 23. Then Jesus, he took the cup and he gave thanks, and he offered it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said, This is my body. I'm sorry, he says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, poured out, sacrificed, substituted for many. And then I'll just add this one in. He says, I tell you the truth, you will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is he's not going to drink this cup. The fourth cup does not get consumed at this particular meal. Very unusual. That would not be true of a Passover meal in general. But this cup, what Jesus is saying is this one's reserved for the final meal at the end of time. And then we will have... If we could put it in our terms today, we would have a real party. Yeah, this is this is the, yeah, that's what happens at the end. But here we are. This is the third cup. So you have the cup of judgment, or, or I'm sorry, sanctification, uh, judgment, plagues, and this is called the cup of redemption. And this is the cup which Jesus put out at that time and and asked them to drink from. And. Um, if you're tracking here, and I'm hoping you are as we work our way across this table, you're noticing that, um, well, hopefully, there's just something odd. And you have to be a little bit, um, I wonder why, kind of curious about this. And that is that what is the main thing at the table in a Passover meal? What would be the, the main thing? What are they going to eat? It's a lamb. So between in here somewhere, there's a meal because this is you know this doesn't this is they're they're not getting full. There's a meal, and Paul tells us that after the bread and before this cup, they had a meal, and the key part of that meal would have been a lamb, a roasted lamb, and. All of the, we have four different accounts of this Passover that Jesus celebrates called the Last Supper, and not one of them mention the lamb, which has led some, many, to conclude that there was not a lamb on the table, but there was a lamb at the table, and that Jesus Christ is the lamb. He's being, he's imaging himself as the Passover lamb. Which is why maybe John the Baptist, when he first sees Jesus, says of him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Or Paul, who says that Christ is our Passover Lamb who has been sacrificed. Yeah. So this is all getting, coming together. There's this convergence of 
of thoughts and uh, themes that are from the Old Testament around the person of Christ. Well, um, we have then the Old I want to give you this, what he says here about the blood of the covenant. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Um, in the Old Testament, let's talk about the Old Covenant, and then we'll talk about the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was established in Exodus chapter 24 at Mount Sinai, where Moses, after they had, the people had been led out of Egypt, and God is going to now teach them how to live as his people, because they didn't know. And he gave them the Ten Commandments, and they take all that in, and then the question is put before them, what will you do? And they all say together, we will do everything that the Lord has said. Be careful when you say that. <laughs> Be very careful when you say, I will do everything that the Lord has said. And then Moses uh, took blood that was from young, it says young bulls, and he sprinkled it upon them after they had said, we will do everything. So what this is called is a blood covenant or a blood oath. So we have, and we find these in scripture. And you, you say something that you will do, and then you seal it with blood. It makes, that sealing it with blood is what, it's like what you're saying when you do that is, I'm going to complete my end of the deal or I'm going to die. That's literally what you're saying when you do that. So they did that. We will do everything the Lord has said, sprinkled with blood. They're saying, we're in this thing, Lord, with you, and if we're not, we're going to die. A few days later, Moses comes down the mountain, and they're dancing around a golden calf. And the Lord almost wipes them out, right? Because they said themselves that that would be the right thing to do. That's the deal. But Moses intervenes. But the point is, is that a blood covenant is a very strong thing. And um, we're going to see here that Jesus makes a blood covenant. He says, this, this, is, this covenant is in my blood. <laughs> it's a blood oath that he makes. It's very strong. And he's not talking about, um, I mean, he's talking about his own blood, not the blood of a, a calf or the blood of a lamb. He's talking about his blood. And we, as we know, he kept his promise. He kept his covenant yeah. So we have this, then to, just to illustrate this, this is the final point, and we'll get to the table. But to illustrate this, it's very relational. Jesus says after the meal, he says, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. You will all fall away. Uh, Moses at Mount Sinai could have said the same thing about the people once they, you know, they all fell away fairly quickly, right? Same thing here. Remember, the Old Covenant is based in the human will. So be careful when it's Ash Wednesday and you say you're not going to do something (laughs) or do something, right? I mean, it's the human will. Unless you pray God's strength into that, you'll find yourself in big trouble. And then Jesus says, but I have, when I have risen, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So he's talking now about after his death, after they've been scattered, I will be there for you guys. Now this is the, this is the gospel, this is the good news, and this is the new covenant. You're going to fail me. And he's, he could say that to any of us, you're going to fail me. Let me tell you, I can see it. <laughs> but that's not the end. 
you fail forward, I'm going to be waiting for you. I'm not going to disown you. Even though you disown me, I am with you. I'll be waiting for you in Galilee. They don't hear any of that. What they hear is the old covenant because Peter immediately responds, I... um, uh, here it is. Even after, even if all others fall away, I will not. You see, Peter could be standing on Mount Sinai with Moses, saying, "You know, these other guys, yeah, they're not. Yeah, they don't have what I have." But we know enough about Peter's story, and so Jesus uh, knows enough about Peter's story. He says, "Peter, I tell you the truth. Today, yes, tonight, even before uh, before the rooster crows twice, you will." you yourself will disown me three times. Three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. But Peter, being in his old covenant, blood oath self, insisted emphatically, he says, even if I have to die with you, there's the blood oath, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And he disowns him. It's right here on the other part of the page. It's not, it didn't take very long. We're talking about hours later. <laughs> Remember the, the golden calf people, at least they took a few weeks, you know, or days. Peter is, his, his, he's even more emphatic. I'm going to, you know, not me, maybe somebody else, but not me. This is the old covenant. What does that tell us about this table that's right here? What do we have to leave behind when we come to it? I mean, is it, okay, here's, here's the deal. This is for all of us who don't quite have it all together. Just to put it mildly, this is for all of us who are broken. This is for all of us who need some care, who need some nourishment, whose soul is tired and maybe empty. If you have everything together, please don't come for communion. It's not for you. It's, a, it's an admission of our need for Jesus and what he's done for us. We feed upon Christ in our hearts through faith. And there may be a convergence point in your life today, and this is, like I said earlier, the best way to either get that relationship started with Jesus Christ or to renew that relationship. It's a place to be renewed. So, before we pray, I'll give you a few instructions. There are three stations to go to. Not, this is not one of them. This was just for show. But that one, that one, or that one, and uh, we'll have people there. If you need help, if you would like to be served where you are for whatever reason, we will just let, let us know and one of the ushers will be able to serve you. We have prayer in the back and we have these grapes at each table. If there's a child here who has um, not yet been instructed in communion, we will find a way to serve you, in that, in, serve you in that way to let you know how much God loves you. Let us pray. Uh, dear Lord, dear our Father, we thank you for the words that come down to us that we can feed upon Christ in our hearts by faith and experience the meaning of this table for us today that 2,000 years ago becomes the now in our lives through Jesus Christ who is here with us. Fill us with your spirit of grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.